Hello and welcome back to our Generation on Air QPR podcast. I'm Alex Bullimore and yet again I'm joined by our podcast regulars Dan Lambert, Micah Chudley and Lucas Ross. Guys, welcome back after the international break. How are we all doing? Not bad at all, not bad. Not too bad. Good, thank you. A bit you. better with the win last night. Yes, I think that's everyone's thoughts exactly there. Um, but let's start with... We'll move on to Bournemouth eventually, but we're going to start with a bit more of a positive note. Come back against Reading. I believe we've got a few people here that were actually in the ground at the weekend. Dan, I know you were for sure. Lucas, you were. Uh, so, guys, how was it? What was it like? Oh, atmosphere was absolute madness. Um, even when we were 3-1 down, there was still it was still a positive vibe around the place just show just just goes to show the feel good facts around the club right now and then uh, uh, then we score our second through Andre Gray and then um Johansson scored the third and sent the went into absolute pandemonium. What would have sent us into even more pandemonium is will is had had Willett scored that chance right at the end then I'd probably still be in A and E. But um yeah nah um we attacked well defending was Shaky at times. Um, I think that's what allowed in John Swift to get his hat trick because he always does something against us. It's just written in the stars with his links to the scum and all that. But yeah, now um, I'd say take the positives away and move on. Brilliant day out though. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I can echo what Lucas said. Um, to to describe it in an analogy, it was kind of like a you know a school football game where you get. Um, a load of kids playing and all, all they care about is the goals. They don't care about the defend the defending or the defend defensive responsibility. It was basically a game, a game of goals and a game of just attacking, really. Yeah, I mean, it certainly looked like a fantastic game to actually be at, um, which which is nice considering that it was such a farce for quite a lot of QPR fans to get tickets. Obviously, we had QPR fans in the home ends that, again. I'm not quite sure, sort of contradicting reports, but like they were shoved in the away end, I think, as well, afterwards, just into the concourse. So God knows what was happening with that. Um, but, you know, yet again, another away game, I can think of uh, Middlesbrough away, um, where we've been behind and we fought back and got something from the game. Uh, Micah, you raised a point a couple of podcasts ago about how that is such a good sign for success for later on in the season. I mean, like, it's nice that we keep doing it, but obviously we're showing against Bournemouth. Can that be, you know, does it, can we keep this up? Like, um, I think we're asking a lot to, um, to keep keeping it up. I think, um, not to jump to the Bournemouth result, but I mean, I think, um, I think we saw last night, didn't we? If we keep giving ourselves too much to do eventually, it's going to be too much. We're not going to be able to climb that mountain. Um, yeah, of course, it's a good sign to be able to come back, especially the QPR teams that we saw before Warburton. It was almost like if we went a goal down, that was it. Like, you just knew we weren't going to win. So obviously, it's, it's great that, like, we've added that. But, you know, we need we need to stop putting ourselves in a position at halftime where we've got a come back from two goals down the start we need to start controlling games from minute one to minute 90 yeah absolutely so l- let's look at the goals in particular um dan any goals that we can see there where we could have done a lot better defensively 
Um, probably goal one and goal three for Reading. I said, the, well, the first one, first one's interesting. A lot of people alluded to uh, Dominic Ball because I don't think he, it was him who didn't really pressure, um, oh, I forgot his name, I think it's Halovic or something like that, who um, put Little the loop bit. ball over, that's it, who put the loop ball over to um, John Swift. I think, it, I don't, I don't blame Don Ball specifically because, Naturally, we just don't press opponents aggressively. So it's just a natural part of our game. And I think you could say the same um, for Odebajo to a certain extent because our wing-backs are always high and wide to, so we can go on the next attack. Um, I mean, you could you could criticise his positioning, really, because he's quick enough to get back. But I think it's more one of those goals um, that we're naturally just going to concede with a lack of pace at times. Um, the third one was the most concerning for me. Swift came completely from deep, deep area into the box late. And I think it was a dome and ball either either side of him that didn't, there was no communication. And it's just simple, simple errors at the end of the day that are costing us points. I mean, regardless of that, um, you know, our mistakes, did we, John Swift, I know Lucas has alluded to the fact that he's ex-Chelsea alumni. He's a good player though, isn't he? But did we make him look too good at the weekend? Um, um it's very nicely. Got Luke, sorry. Put very nicely, we made him look like prime or oh, good. We made him look like prime Ronaldinho at times on Saturday. It our defending against him was absolutely Tim Hart. We should should be handling him better and we know what he's got in his dock up, we know. So why do we let him produce his absolute best against us? Um when we know how he's devastated us before. I mean, I I, I disagree slightly, I think. We were numerically outnumbered anyway because they played the two in midfield deeper, but then Swift kind of kind of was just free roaming anyway. And we only have a midfield two. And especially in the first half, you saw Johansson, he was drifting a lot of the time on the right right hand side to to help um Odebajo, who was quite isolated. So it was really just ball on his own trying to sweep up sweep up areas. So I think I think we we partly made him look good, but I think at the same time he 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 has the qualities to to help Reading. Okay, and actually you raise a kind of interesting point there, and this question is going to go out to anyone, but whoever wants to answer this, because I thought against Millwall we were overrun quite a lot defensively in midfield. Again, with just having those two players in midfield, I know this formation has worked well for us in the past, especially in the lockdown games, but is this the best formation for us going forward with just two in two in the midfield is it a little bit of a weakness that's you know allowing teams to dominate us in the centre of the park um, uh, I'm, I'm going to say yeah on, I, I still think um, yeah um, I think part of it is that I think we need to see how we look with Sam Field back in the team I know he was a little bit in and out of the team towards the end of um, towards the end of the season but I think I think he gives you a little bit of um, Dumble and a little bit of Luke Amos sort of rolled into one player. Um, I think we can trust him on the ball, but we can also trust him to sort of pick up the opposition number 10 or if their striker drops deeper, he can pick it up, clean it up. He's also good on the ball as well. Obviously, we can trust him with the ball a little bit going forward, scored on his debut as well. So, I still think I still think three five two is fine. It's a bit concerning that we have three centre backs on the pitch and we do look so open. But you know, I think realistically, 
until we kind of see what we look like with Field and Johansson in midfield again, um, I'm sort of happy to to stay with this for the time being. Yeah, I'd um I'd agree. I think I'm happy to stay in the formation. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to personnel in that um double pivot because we've well, we've had conversations before about who you want in that that midfield and realistically, Johansson and Dazelle, I don't really want in that midfield pairing. But I think also the game was very open first half against Reading. Um, and particularly between the defensive and the offensive lines, there was a lot of space and they easily bypassed us. So I think it was just a matter of that specific game in isolation rather than the formation as a whole. OK, um, and looking at our subs, uh, obviously Adoma was quite heavily in, influential in the third goal, as was George Thomas. Um was this another sort of game where Wilberton has got his subs spot on, which I know in the past he's had quite a bit of criticism for? Did he get it spot on in against Reading? Um, I think so. I think so. He changed. He changed more to a back four, didn't he? Towards the end, when he brought off brought off McCallum, and I think he went to more. I think it was a four two three one. I might. I might be. I might be wrong, but um, it did. It did help. I mean, Adoma. Adoma is known for his final product, as um, as he's done a few times now this season. Um, and he got the assist for the grey goal, didn't he? And the uh, build up for the Willock chance that he kept in. So yeah, I think I think the subs works as a whole. Um, but it just I'm I'm a bit unsure on Adoma. I don't know what anyone else thinks. There comes a point where he's got to be surely nailing down a point for a starter sooner or later. I know people say he's better off the bench than in in the first 11, but it comes a point where he's just a bit like, he's kind of the outlier to the system, if that makes sense. So yeah, I don't know what you got, I think. I certainly think with Adoma, when he starts, there's a little bit of defensive frailty. I just think he's the natural winger rather than wing back. I know we have only really got, probably say Odebarjo is the only one, perhaps that's an actual, if you looked at them, yeah, you're a wing back, first choice by trade. The rest of them are sort of left backs or full or right backs doing a job at wing back. Um, I think that with him, you, you want him coming off the bench for those like final few moments. I don't know whether he's kind of, I don't want to be like really critical of his age as well, but like has he got the legs to be doing to be the first choice wing back week in, week out as well? Like, I don't know about that. Um, but I, yeah, I always feel that for him, there's always a bit of uh, defensive frailty from the start. But when we're going for it at the end, there's no one else you'd want on the pitch. And to be honest, with the subs, like you look at our bench, I don't think really Walton could have got it wrong with anyone else. I would, certainly wouldn't want to see any other players coming on ahead of the three that he did bring on. Um, <clears throat> finally, on Reading, Lucas, looking at the stats and certainly looking at the stats at half time uh, when it was one all. What, should we have just put Reading to the sword like that? We had dominated this game, surely. Um, I think um, we had we had to take a couple more of our chances on Saturday. Of course, um, our first goal was an OG, contrary to popular belief. Um, even though social media channels thought it was Dominic Ball who got the final touch, um, in the end it was an OG. Um, yeah, and no, I think um. Saturday is the game where we should be where we should be defending better, taking our chances, and ultimately, as you just said, putting the game to bed. Micah, any thoughts? 
Um, not really, just to touch on your um, thing about Adoma, I think as well, um, I definitely agree with you, Alex, although I, I understand why um, why people are calling for him to start. And honestly, it probably is getting to the point where, you know, if he doesn't start and we don't win, um, it's going to be a point of contention for Warbs. But um, I don't know, I, I just think um, exactly like you said, to be honest, Alex, I think just coming off the bench, him as that kind of wing back, uh, sorry, winger masquerading as a wing back, it really does give us something. And you can kind of sort of allow for the defensive frailty in the last 15, 20 minutes of a game when you're chasing a game, which is what always seems to be happening with us. Um, so, you know, I, I personally wouldn't start him, but, you know, it's getting to the point where it's like, you know, Warburton's hand might be forced. He might have to. But yeah, apart from that, you know, everything that's been said about the reigning game has been said. I don't really need to add anything else. I mean, if it is getting to that point with Adoma, it's kind of just shows how um, <clears throat> sort of fickle and it's just sort of like another hot take from people, isn't it? Because if you're bringing in a, Albert Adoma as a wing back bec- purely because Kakai or Odebajo isn't actually doing the job defensively, it, if you're going to bring anyone in, it's not going to be a Doma to fix that sort of defensive issue, is it? Because last night against Bournemouth, and I guess we'll transition to Bournemouth now, his positioning wasn't great at Kakai, and it's been criticised by people. I think I've said in the past that it's sort of a byproduct of having a win back and he's having to do two different roles. So like, especially Odebarge early in the season, he it looked like he was out of position, but he wasn't really because he was doing the job that the manager wanted him to do. So Adoma isn't actually going to fix anything defensively. And it just shows how, you know, one loss and it's just straight into the criticism of the team again. Um, but the big thing with Bournemouth for me is, we've already kind of touched on it, but was this result kind of coming with the way that we'd been playing so far this season, going behind early? Was this something that you could have predicted quite easily? Dan? Um. I, th- I think I think so. I don't think necessarily the result we... I mean, uh, I didn't have particularly huge high hopes for the Bournemouth game, but purely off the basis that they've got, what, well, they've got Prem, Prem quality in their side. Um, they pressed, I already knew they pre- would press um, press quite aggressively um, against us, and we know how that, that goes well, against Barnsley. And then um, it's, a Scott, it's a Scott Parker side, so they, they'll want the ball. But um, no, I didn't. I didn't think it was necessarily coming because I could. I, I had faith in us to to score goals, obviously. But defensively, after Reading, I thought I, I was a bit concerned, at least. Yeah. Um. And looking at the way that Bournemouth played against us, Michael, was this the sort of perfect game plan to be playing against this QPR side? Sort of go in, score early, hit them, and then shut up shop at the end it's funny because I actually think um, we started really well we started really really well and then I think the way that goal went in with it being Rob Dickey to make the mistake as well who's probably been our best player this season um, excuse me um, I think that really just knocked the life out of the team a little bit and we were just kind of in the wilderness right up until really about 60th minute which looked lost out there so 
it's, it's hard for me to say that Bournemouth got it spot on because I think the, the events of the game kind of played into their favour a little bit. The first 15 in the second half, we did look very shaky, to be fair. Um, but, um, you know, I thought we, we, we coped with their press, at least until the goal went in. Um, and then when Gray came on as well, it gave us a whole new dimension, really. I think he sort of came on and did what he'd been brought in to do. And I think I was saying to my dad when we were watching the game that the players look like they're still getting used to having somebody that's going to run in behind because Andre Gray made a couple like pretty decent runs um, that nobody kind of picked up. And it was kind of almost like, it's kind of almost like Chair and Willett were like, oh, we're not used to, um, we're not used to having this sort of ball in behind. Um, You're saying Austin and Dykes, they're rapid. So- Dykes said he was the quickest player in the team a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, um, it was a tough one for Dykes last night as well, actually. I I, I was surprised that he picked Dykes. I I didn't really feel like that was a get. I don't like Dykes up top on his own. I think he's much better. He's much better in a two. So I was surprised that he went with um, with Lyndon on his own. But yeah, it's hard for me to say that Bournemouth got it spot on because I think if Rob Dickey doesn't, you know, make that mistake... 15 minutes into the game whenever it was I think we're talking about a really different game to be honest with you so but I don't know that's just how I saw it yeah fair enough Lucas what did you think about last night and sort of like Bournemouth's game plan towards us I thought as has been said widely I thought we started really really well came flying up traps and then their, their first goal, Dickie's mistake, really knocked the wind out of our sails big time because um, I I didn't see it I didn't see it coming I didn't see a Dickie mistake coming to say the least. Um, but then it just went backwards and we didn't really recover from that until McCallum's goal in the 60th minute, 60 odd minutes. Um, I think. We get lucky when Billing hits the post. Billing or Solanke or or Solanke or whoever it was hits the post at two nil. Because um, had that been made three, it would have been game set and match right there and then. But Callum scores to make it two one, and and then and then we literally just chuck anything and everything at Bournemouth in in a death in desperate rain for an equaliser. I think. Mark Travers definitely did something for the game because I'd say best best goalkeeper performance I've seen from a goalkeeper since Lee Camp in February 2019 against us, and he still conceded three goals. Um, but um, I say if it weren't for the Dickies mistake, we'd got we would have come home with at least a point. Um, ultimately, you win some, you draw some, you lose some, and you can't go unbeaten forever. And I think. Um, last night was a bit of a wait. It was a bit of a reality check, if you like, that um, we are not invincible and we'll win some and we'll ultimately lose some, which we did last night in a quite heartbreaking fashion. But um, we have to move on quickly and get ready for Bristol City on Saturday. Yeah, so with that sort of attitude that Lucas is discussing there, with sort of you win some, lose some, Dan... Do you think that it w- it's not necessarily a bad thing to lose to a side that will probably be there at the end of the season, playoffs or automatics, you know? And with the fact that we have got Fulham and West Brom 
very soon. Is it is it a bad thing to get our first loss just out of the way? No, it's not. It's not a bad thing. Um, no, it's not. It's, it's a learning curve, like Luke has said. But I think, I'll be honest. I think I think the loss was preventable in certain areas. I think. I mean, I I think I alluded to this on our group chat um, when the lineups came out. I was a bit concerned by playing two defensive defensive minded fullbacks in the wing back areas, because realistically, in the first half we were playing playing attacks with three three against five, and we were never going to outnumber them with their quality. Um, yeah, I just think I just think it was a bit disappointing from from Warburton not to um, maybe play a doma like I um, like I said earlier because we we saw his effect in the second half. He pushed McCallum up with his positioning, um, whereas Kakai isn't comfortable comfortable in possession, um, and he well, he got dispossessed in the uh, second half to nearly put us three 0 down. So I thought it was a little bit preventable um, the defeat, but it's not the end. It's not the end of the world. It's it's just a learning curve, really. Yeah, so um, you mentioned Kakai there. I know he's getting a bit of a... Uh, I mean, he's getting quite a lot of criticism on social media and stuff like that. But do you, who, who for you st- stood out last night um, in a... Who didn't really perform to their best ability? Because I, I haven't actually watched the game in full, but just looking at it, I kind of thought that Dien could have done better for at least... Definitely the first goal. I know it's one-on-one and a tight ang- it's a tight angle. The fact that he curls it into the other side of the net there's only one place that he's going to be taking that shot. Dieng's got to know that, surely. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard one. I mean, the team as a whole didn't particularly, didn't particularly play our best generally anyway. And um, it wasn't wasn't until the or the first 10, 10 minutes, like um, Michael and Lucas said, that we played well. But then um, it was the second half that we really had to kick on a little bit. I mean, obviously Dickie made the mistake, but that was. That that's just gone and done, so you can't really do much about it. I thought device was quite impressive, to be fair, and in, in in both boxes at least. Anyway, um, he had that chance at the um, at the end where Mark Travers pulled off that worldy save, and I think he defended his box quite well. Um, I'm trying to think who else has had a bad game. I don't think there was any. It's hard to put a put a pin on a specific individual. I think it was more more just the team didn't really function to the best of his ability. And again, like looking at the substitutes, it's the same subs that he brought on. Was it? Am I looking at the wrong game? I think. Yeah. Who did he bring off off the bench last night? Adoma, obviously. So the same. The same. The same three. Yeah. Thomas yeah. at the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The same. I guess that's like kind of because uh, we have got such a small squad. It's kind of obvious who we're going to bring off the bench, isn't it? Um, yeah. So Thomas didn't get much time at the end to affect the game, but. Yeah. I don't know, like it's where where do we need to improve from this game going into ne- next week? I mean, it's it's hard to say directly. I mean I think like well, I alluded to the tactical change. I think that would have been a lot better. I know maybe Adoma can't defend against the and um Kakai was up against a very good left hand side in Bournemouth, but I just think it was pretty obvious that the difference Adoma made to the to our offensive player when he just brought brought the whole the whole attack forward and the whole team forward. Um it's hard it's hard to say where um where we improve because the, the core of the team is very much the same, apart from maybe the odd attacker or whether you go two up front, one behind, the the, the midfield two stays the same and the wing backs most of the time stay the same as well. So it's it's hard to it's hard to make too many changes. But 
I think we just got to pick ourselves up and go again. Yeah. Oh, also, um, great. Right at the end, I know we've mentioned the fact that Tavares Tavares has made some fantastic saves. Um, how does Gray not quite score? Like he goes with his head. Did anyone think that he could have waited for that ball to drop? You know, similar to the sort of um, a Doma goal against Watford last year. Micah, Lucas, what do we think? I, I think, think I think that's a bit. I think it might be a bit harsh. To be fair, it might be a tad harsh. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I'm just not too disheartened with the loss last night. Um, you know, I don't want to say it had been coming or anything like that, but I think it was the type of loss we probably will probably do us good in the long run. I feel like I think now is the time we've realised we can't keep giving ourselves mountains to climbs, mountains to climb, and um, but that's the level at the top of the championship. Really, that's probably where we're going to be come the end of the season. And if you if you make a mistake. You know that might cost you a game in a in a match like that. So I think um that oh, got go on, Luke. Sorry, you go. Um, I was, was going to say was um I think just just looking at it, I think I think it was incredibly unlucky. A Gray could have let it drop, but B I think. It is ultimately excellent goalkeeping by Travers, which won the game single-handedly, pretty much, buying the, buying the two goals. And then, yeah. No, I was just going to say about the um, the the tweet that I mentioned about potentially starting a dome up um, in that game. I think the mistake overshadowed that um, that kind of tactical. Uh, well, it's not really a failure, but it was a. It was a minor tweak that I think Warburton should have made, and that that perhaps um, goes back to the stubbornness of when when people were calling for his. I know it's a, it's one game, but uh, there was all this about him being stubborn with his tactics and his system. I just wonder whether he could be a bit more flexible in the odd, just just mind just the minor details that could maybe maybe take us that little bit further. Okay, so moving on to our final game to talk about Bristol City at home at the weekend. Um, they've had a pretty decent start to the season. They're only about four four points ahead of, behind us. Sorry, um, guys, what do we think about Bristol City? Where where are they going to cause us some problems? Um, I say they're causing us problems. Um, I say usually in midfield is where the game is won and lost. And I think that, um, on Saturday that will be no exception. Um, with the likes of Hanoi Masengo, Adam Naish, um, however you say his name, is gone, so he's not going to cause us problems. Um, Hanoi Masengo could, he, with him only being like 20, if my memory serves me correctly, he could be problematic. Um, I think Chris Martin up top has the potential to bully our defenders. Um, with um with his build and his jumping ability, uh, alas, this is probably a good thing. Not gonna lie, Naki Wells probably won't play, but who knows what um Nigel Pearson has up his sleeve. But yeah, no, I think um with Hanar Masengo and Andreas Weiman are the best to watch out for. Yeah, well, Vyman has got uh, four goals in six games so far this season, so he's clearly one of their better players. Uh, Micah, Dan, any thoughts on Bristol City? 
weird side Bristol City because I think Bristol City are kind of a team with a number of really, really good players at championship level. Seem to be massively underperforming. Um, good manager, really good manager at championship level with Nigel Pearson, who kind of still looks like he's feeling a way around that squad. Not entirely sure kind of what he wants to do with it. I think they like to switch between a um, 4-2-3-1 and a 4-4-2. Um, they like to be quite flexible in that. Um, as Lucas said, Mustengo's a good player. Um, Jay De Silva's a good uh, left-back, obviously, former Chelsea. Uh, we all know about um, Naki Wells and Danny Simpson as well. Um, it's in- it's interesting. Danny Simpson, I forgot about him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does he start like regularly for them? Sorry? Does he start for them? Yeah, he's, he started the last couple, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously knows um, Nigel Pearson quite well from Leicester. Mm. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a weird one because, again, I, they haven't won at home for something crazy, like 15 games or something mad. Like It stretches right back to like February or something. Um but away from home, they just they've beaten Reading away from home, beaten Cardiff away from home. So it's it's gonna it's gonna it's a shame it's a shame we're not playing them at home really, um, playing them away. Sorry, um, but it's it's definitely going to be a test. They're not going to be easy to break down at all. Can I just make a point here? When we're talking about Danny Simpson, we're talking about the Premier League winner, Danny Simpson. So let's bear that in mind. <laughs> I was actually going to say, like, it probably wouldn't have been great for his career in the long run, but I thought getting rid of him was absolutely criminal. So like, like getting Same. rid of him to bring in, what was it, Mauricio Isla? Bloody hell. Yeah, brought him, in, brought him in to play at five at the back. And then after two games, went right back to a back four. Yep. Harry Redknapp's time at QPI in a nutshell, I feel like. Quite right. Um, yeah, so Dan, anything you forgot to say about Bristol? Um, well, I mean, I can echo what Micah said. Um, it's interesting they've gone to the 4-4-2 recently in the last two games. Obviously, they're playing tonight, so it could it could change, but it's quite a lopsided 4-4-2 to the left-hand side, so which could benefit us specifically because we like to attack down our left-hand side. I think it's Masengo who's in the right mid-roll, and it was Zach Viner recently. So they're quite narrow, narrow type players. So could be could be good for the likes of Sam McCallum, Chair and Willock to get in those those kind of areas. I mean, um Vyman's the one I'd be worried about. I caught a bit of the Cardiff game, I think it was the other week, the early kickoff, and it was obviously against I know it's against Aidan Flint and Sean Morrison, but he managed to use some pretty good uh double movements to get in behind the defence. So I wonder if that's something we should look out for, specifically after the Reading performance. Um yeah, that's about it, really. They're quite a direct, direct, quick side, so they look to use target man um, Chris Martin up top alongside Vyman. Um, they won't press us much, so they'll probably just sit in, let us have a lot of the ball. Um, but re- they've produced the third highest amount of turnovers in the league so far behind West Brom and Barnsley, which is quite interesting. Um, so it'll be more of an emphasis on us trying to retain the ball a lot of the time. Yeah, um, I... I thought with, with Bristol City, they're sort of, you know, they had a couple of seasons when they were right up there, weren't they? Challenging for promotion. And it's sort of like a good example of how you can just get stuck in this league if it doesn't go right for you in that one season where you've got your opportunity. Like, let's not make that mistake, QPR. Um, any changes to the first 11 going into this weekend? I know that 
so Moses didn't play against Bournemouth. Um, Amos is coming back to fitness and is expected to play tonight against Brentford B uh, for our newly formed B team. Um, Wallace is out for longer than expected. Dykes obviously started last night. You've got Austin as well, who's had some personal uh, tragedy recently. You know, what? any changes to what we, to the uh, side that played against Bournemouth? Um, good question. I would say, um, stick. I'd say stick with the back five. Um, get um, Ozzy on the bench. Um, this might be, a, um, dare I say it, but this might actually be a good game to start a Doma in. Um, or I, I'm saying either a Doma or Moses come in at right wing back, obviously depending on what happened with Moses because you missed the game yesterday under some mysterious circumstances, let's put it that way, this circumstances which very few people know about. Um, and I'd say midfield, stick with what we've got, dominate up in midfield along with Stefan. Um, and then Chan will playing behind one of Dykes, Austin or Gray. Although I do think Gray is better suited to the role of impact sub than starter, um, as was shown a lot for last season. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd do similar to, to Luke. I'd, I'd probably only make the one change. I mean, it's interesting, the Moses thing. I don't know what that, whether he's just not in the squad for any particular reason or whatever. But if he's fit, I'd play... I bring Moses back in for Kakai. Um, I just think his pace is quite useful in the back five, especially for recovery pace. And um, a lot of their attacking threat comes down from the left hand side in that in the young youngster Cameron Pring, his name is. Um, so I wonder whether we we try and nullify that, and then uh, I'd be tempted. I don't know. I'd be tempted to maybe Kakai as a defensive fullback, but then you've got the same situation as before where you got the two two defensive fullbacks. So probably probably Moses is probably the the kind of the in between between Adoma being the most attacking and Kaka being um the more defensive. So yeah I probably do Moses and that's it. Okay. Um I'm glad actually no one said I mean Michael you may disagree here but like Amos doesn't really need to be coming in this early does he regardless of how well ball is performing because I'm just worried about him I just don't want him to get another injury, basically. Like, we don't need to see him playing, apart from in the Everton game, possibly in t- uh, tonight against Brentford B. But, Michael, would you say there's any other changes? Would you agree with the lads? No, I, d- I don't really see the need to make major changes. I would, I'm not saying in this game, but I would like to see um, Gray and Dykes up top with each other because I feel like they would complement each other quite well. Uh, maybe this is not a game for it, but I would like to see it at some point. I think, I think the way we set up naturally is going to be sort of difficult for Bristol City to attack at anyway. I, I always feel teams that play with two up front, if you have that extra man at the back and that extra man advantage, it does give you sort of a little bit more sort of breathing room. Um, so no, no, nothing I'd really change, to be honest. Out of curiosity, with the putting Dykes up top with uh, Gray, I understand. I I've said it in the past as well. Like, I think Dykes is a better striker with in a, in a partnership. But what would you do about um, transferring Willock and Chair Johansson and possibly another midfield? Like, what what do you do about that? 
that's a problem, isn't it? Because you know we're already open enough as it is. Um, I don't, I don't really know. I did, there was one point last season, wasn't there, where we played with like a midfield three of like Johansson, Chair, and Willock, and then Austin and Dykes up front. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure we we need to do that just yet, but um, it's definitely an option. Definitely an interesting option. Yeah, we'll just say this though. Um... We played, we played that combination twice against Stoke and Luton. Both matches we won by two goals, so I guess that's good to know. Also, I'm just going to touch on Amos. Um, I don't think he should be starting on Saturday, but wouldn't, I personally I would love to see him come off the bench for like the last 15, 20 minutes just to see how he is after his injury. I'd love to see him come off the bench on Saturday in like the 70th minute. Yeah. Okay, so uh, to wrap up, podcast we'll finish with the tradition of predictions and it has to be mentioned that dan a couple of weeks ago for was it coventry i think yeah the, Co- the coventry game yeah two yeah. nil he predicted the correct score line and that's the first time that's happened this season so starting with micah let's have your prediction for bristol city at the weekend um I think we're going to see a big reaction from the lads and our best performance of the season so far. I'm going to be optimistic and say 3-0 QPR. Okay, 3-0. I think we'd all love to see that. Lucas? Ooh, well, it's, it's going to be an entertaining one on Saturday. Obviously, on a more personal, it's going to be my first home league game of the season, having missed Barnsley due to having COVID. Um, I think... Saturday, we'll take the dub and grab the, grab the necessary three points. With um, I'm going with a two with a slightly more conservative two nil. With we'll look to score and then Gray to come off the bench and score. Okay, um, and Dan, our predictions expert. No pressure. Don't get it wrong. Yeah, no pressure. Um, I'm kind of torn in two minds. It's between a 1-0 and 2-1, but I think I'm going to be optimistic and say 2-1. Yeah, I'll say 2-1. Okay, and I'm going to go with uh, 1-0. Okay, so that has been another really good episode of Our Generation on Air. Thanks to Micah, Dan and Lucas for joining me. We'll be back next week with plenty more uh, stories and games to discuss so uh, in the meantime if you fancy a bit more of our generation there are some fantastic interviews on our YouTube page with the likes of Lyndon Dykes uh, Johan Barbe but not Todd Kane um, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time